0: Hello, thanks for listening to our Fusion Sermon podcast. Fusion is a worshiping community within Hardaway Ministries. We gather at 1030 a.m. in the Red Brick Church building on the Hardaway campus, on the corner of 160th and Lakewood in Holland, Michigan. We invite you to join us in person when you are able. To learn more about our Fusion community and Hardaway Ministries, please visit hardaway.com. And we jump into God's Word. This morning we are continuing our study of what it looks like to act like Jesus. We've been, uh, since the fall, using a, a resource called Believe. And uh, there were the first 10 weeks was on what does it mean to think like Jesus, kind of talking about theology and doctrine. Uh, right now we're in a 10-week in a, in a series on what does it mean to act like Jesus, and we're exploring the 10 core practices that mark the Christian journey of spiritual formation. These are practices or disciplines that Jesus and his followers made a regular part of their daily life in rhythms, as testified in the scriptures. And, and Jesus, of course, is our ultimate example. He is our model. We call Jesus our Savior, the one who saves us, as well as our Lord, uh, which is another word for master He is our example. He is the one that we follow. He he is our model. We model our lives after the example of Jesus Christ. And our working imagery throughout this series, as we've kind of begun, is is the imagery of an elite athlete or a musician or an artist who's mastered a craft and there's been hours of discipline and practice and training to reach kind of these highest levels of expertise and performance. And so, like, uh, just like a, an elite athlete will, will train for hours and hours and practice, uh, the training isn't the end goal, right? The practice isn't the point. The practice is to prepare the athlete for the event, like a big game this afternoon, right? Uh, they're preparing for that. Uh, same thing with a musician or an artist. And, and similarly, uh, these spiritual practices aren't, aren't an end to themselves. Like studying the Bible, we're going to be talking about or pray, like it's, it's not to become the best prayer. It's, it's to connect with God. And we connect with God in order to prepare us for the life God has called us to live, to be light in this world. And so that's kind of the working imagery. We've considered already a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, we looked at worship and really kind of focusing on corporate worship and and how is what we are doing on an hour on Sunday, how does that form us and shape us and prepare us for the rest of the week? Last week, we looked at prayer and kind of focusing, uh, again, these are huge topics, but focusing kind of on that personal, quiet prayer time uh, individually and personally and privately. This morning, we're looking at the practice of Bible study. Studying God's Word, reading God's Word, meditating on God's Word. And for our purposes, what I want to do is, is kind of broaden our scope and, and think and consider any time we intentionally read, engage, study, dwell on and in God's Word. And the doorway into that this morning will be Jesus' well known parable, the parable of the sower, which is found in Matthew 13, uh, verses 1 through 23. In the middle of that, there's, Jesus kind of goes on, why do you, he gets asked this question, why do you speak in parables? And so we're just going to look at the parable itself, and then skip ahead a couple verses when Jesus explains the parable. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open your Bibles uh, to Matthew 13, and then if you're willing and able, I invite you to stand as we honor God, uh, as this is God's word, and so we we, we give special honor and attention uh, to these words, which are the words of Jesus this morning. Matthew 13, starting at verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Then jumping ahead to verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And you may be seated. Join me as we continue our worship in a word of prayer. Lord God, once again, we thank you for, for your word. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that these words would be planted in our hearts. And Holy Spirit, by your inspiration, by your revelation, by your power, that you would allow these words, your word, to grow roots in our hearts and produce Crop of fruit, well beyond what we anticipate. And so, Spirit, we trust and we ask that you would speak to us, that you would move in our lives and our hearts, so that in hearing your word, we would be changed more and more in the likeness of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and our Savior. Amen. And amen. Growing up in the 80s and 90s, uh, I was exposed in, in, to, to countless PSAs. You familiar with PSAs? A public service announcement. Uh, you didn't have to grow up. We were all exposed. If you were alive during the 80s and 90s, uh, to a ton of PSAs put on by the by the Ad Council. And uh, maybe you're familiar with some of the the public service announcements that that were given. There was a, a particular uh, set of those public service announcements that were kind of targeted toward children. And the idea was to kind of warn or to educate kids on, on the various dangers of this world. And there was a huge campaign to make kids aware of drugs, right? Uh, a drug-free America. There was uh, other, other campaigns that were to encourage helpful practices like recycling, right? And, and many of them, uh, many of these ad campaigns featured kind of a child-friendly mascot or they used a celebrity kind of a voice that would resonate with kids. Now, I kind of thought it'd be fun to kind of, kind of go back and, and look at some of these and kind of give us kind of a fun little quiz. I'm gonna show you the character of the ad campaign, and I wanna see if you can kind of remember the tagline, okay? Sound good? You willing to, per- okay, we got some nods. All right, the first one is kind of a layup. This one's pretty easy because this one's still happening today. Uh, Smokey the Bear, do you remember? You guys are right on only you can prevent forest fires. I got a microphone, right? In fact, they changed it to wildfires just to add some further clarity. So today you're going to hear only you can prevent uh, wildfires, even though it was originally forest fires. Okay, the next one, this one's a little more challenging. uh, But how many of you remember McGruff, the crime dog? Anyone? (laughs) Does anyone remember McGruff, the crime dog? Okay, and and that cartoon, there's a couple variations. The early ones were kind of. McGruff, kind of, the the drawing wasn't very good. Anyway, uh, that was a terrible, yeah, that was a terrible joke. Ignore that one. Okay, so does anyone remember the the McGruff crime dog tagline? There we go, take a bite out of crime, yeah. Gotta take a bite out of crime. He's kind of got that McGruff, yeah, voice. Okay, we're on a roll. Okay, this one's kind of tough. Okay, the next one is, do you remember these guys? The Crash Test Dummies? Also, I think a 90s alternative band. Uh, But the Crash Test Dummies... Uh, the tagline, This I, I don't know if I would have gotten this one. Do you remember the tagline? Close, Sean. Yeah, close. Uh, it's, you can learn a lot from a dummy. Buckle your seatbelt. So you were like mixing them together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can learn a lot from a dummy. Okay, and now the last one that is probably the most well-known, probably the most familiar PSA that was that came out in the 90, 80s, 90s. Do you remember this with the fried egg? Uh, it, you, you, you guys got it, yeah. This is drugs. This is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? There you go. PSAs. Now, of course, the idea behind all of these public service announcements, there's a, there's a good spirit there. The idea is, is to, find a, to find a voice that, that would resonate with kids, to find a voice um, that, that kids would, would listen to, right? You're trying to find a character that that kids will listen to and that they'll they'll lean into to try to find a a voice that kids would listen to 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 give truth and guidance and influence. And anyway, as I was just kind of thinking, it was kind of fun to kind of remember those different PSAs. It got me me thinking, who are the voices that resonate with us today? Think about that. What what voices do we we listen to? To today, where, where do we go for truth? Where do we go to find guidance? Where do we go to find influence? Now there's countless options, right? There are a lot of voices in this world competing for our attention. I can ask amen, but we know it, right? There's thousands of voices and opinions coming our way, celebrities and influencers and pundits. What are the voices we are listening to? Where do we go for truth and for guidance? It's kind of our question this morning. And as we, looked at Je- as we look at Jesus, what we realize is his primary source for truth and influence and guidance. Well, I'd say there's two of them. The first one would be the Father, And we talked about that last week like that Jesus often withdrew to the quiet place to pray and he would he would talk to his father right and of course then also the secondary source we'd say would be the scriptures now again Jesus identity as the son of God right as God in flesh he was an authority unto himself but the example he gave to us was one who regularly went to his father in prayer and so there's a source there and one who knew the scriptures taught the scriptures recited the scriptures and so there was this source of knowledge within the scripture and this is where I want to start this morning to consider Jesus view Jesus relationship to the scriptures it's first important to remember as we think about Jesus and the scriptures is to remember that Jesus was not initially starting a new movement right Jesus was part of the Jewish faith Jesus was a first-century Jewish rabbi who studied and taught and lived according to the Hebrew Bible what we refer to as the Old Testament these were his sacred texts. These were his scriptures. And throughout his ministry, Jesus maintained a very high view of the Hebrew Bible, the scriptures, right? There's multiple occasions throughout Jesus' ministry where where he quotes the Bible, where he reads from the scriptures in the synagogue, where he teaches from the scriptures, and it reveals the scope of his knowledge, his understanding, and his grounding in the Hebrew Bible, the scriptures, the word of God, the law, and the prophets. In fact, if you're reading Matthew's gospel and kind of step back and and look at it from kind of a 30,000-foot view, what we realize is that Matthew is organizing his gospel doing a lot of things, but one of the things he's doing as he's organizing his gospel is to highlight Jesus' role as as the new Moses. There's all these parallels to Jesus' life and Moses' life, and we see that that Matthew's trying to highlight the fact that Jesus is the new and, in many ways, better Moses. Moses, who brought the word of God, the book of Moses, like the, the law of Moses, Jesus comes to bring fulfillment to the law And the prophets, because Jesus knew and he he lived and he breathed in the scriptures. We see this most notably at the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, verses 17 through 18. Jesus says this Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Law or prophets is kind of shorthand for the Hebrew Bible. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying he's not not scrapping the whole thing and starting over, but rather he's stepping into God's great redemption plan for the world to bring this plan, to bring these words of the scriptures to fruition and completion, and we see multiple examples of this in the Gospels. Uh, Jesus' teaching specifically from the law and prophets in, in Matthew 5, immediately following, in the same sermon, Sermon on the Mount, we have this kind of formula that Jesus uses uh, over and over. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. Now, not all the time, but oftentimes what follows, you have heard it said, is, is a law from the, the, the law of Moses. And then Jesus expands on it and takes that law to a whole nother level, but I say to you. And we see this formula repeating over and over in the Sermon on the Mount, particularly in Matthew chapter 5. Or fast forward to Matthew 22, where Jesus is asked, what's the greatest, uh, what is the greatest command in scripture In Matthew 22, verses 34 and following, what does he do? He says the first, he quotes Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. And then he quotes Leviticus 19 and love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting, he knows, and he can just recite, and he he understands and knows the Bible. And all that is to simply say that Jesus understood the scriptures to be true and informative, influential and authoritative, and worthy of study and memorization and devotion and prayer and meditation. I just tried packing a lot of things into one statement and even that's not exhaustive. But let me just say it again. Jesus understood the scriptures to be true and informative. These, these words are true and they inform our lives. They're influential and authoritative. We should listen to them and, and, and heed what they say. And they're worthy of study. Not just study but memorization and devotion and prayer and meditation. Now again, as, as, as we think about Bible study, and, and this chapter in, in this book, Believe, talks about Bible study, my guess is when we say Bible study, most of us consider kind of more of an intellectual or academic exercise, like we study God's word, we, we dig into God's word, we try to discover its meaning, and, and that certainly is, is important. And, and I'm thankful for all the opportunities that we, ha- we have Bible studies on Wednesday nights and throughout the week. Like It's important to study God's word. And it was part of Jesus' training. Like Jesus studied the scriptures. I went to three years of seminary and I studied the scriptures. Like This is something that is important and good. But I also want to also suggest that the Bible is, is much more than simply a subject matter that we study or, or, or a textbook that we kind of apart and kind of break and and try like it's more than that and I think this is where Jesus parable of the sower becomes a very helpful image in Matthew 13 because what Jesus does in Matthew 13 is he compares the word to a seed that is sown in the soil and we're going to just kind of think about that imagery because that is fundamentally a different way to view God's word Uh, compared to like a textbook or some people would say like the Bible is like compare it to a life's instruction manual not to diminish those things but seed is different than a textbook right and it all comes down to function how does the Bible inform influence and guide us and so let's talk about this the Bible the word as seed God's word as seed so many uh, of of those other word pictures and illustrations, whether we say like the Bible is kind of like a textbook or an instruction manual, uh, other just kind of well-known examples like the Bible is like a compass, it's a beautiful image, Uh, or even in the scriptures like the Bible is like a double-edged sword in Hebrews 4, right? It, It suggests, those images kind of suggest that the Bible is this kind of tool to be used and mastered by God's people to inform and instruct godly living. And what's assumed often then is that we are the ones playing the active role in making the scriptures work uh, as they should. We are the ones who are mastering and studying scriptures. Like, uh, and again, there's something to that that is good. Like I, I went to three years of seminary. Do you, know what, do you know what degree you get after graduating seminary? A master's in divinity. Wow, okay. Anyway, so we get a master's in biblical study, right? Okay, so there, there's something to that. But again, I think we would also want to certainly acknowledge and emphasize, actually, it's the Spirit's work that makes the words on this page something that's living and breathing. As Mary prayed in the prayer that this is the word of God is living and active, it's it's the Spirit that makes these words living and active, not our study or mastery. Again, it's more about function. How does the Bible work as it were? Jesus' imagery in Matthew 13 kind of adds to this parad- adds a different paradigm altogether, because comparing it to seed in soil, that is fundamentally different because seed is not a tool that we master. You don't master seed to make it grow. and like, no, it's totally different, right? Jesus' imagery is seed in soil. This thing is driving me crazy. I'm just going to put that right there. In Matthew 13. Jesus offers a parable that compares the word, and and the word is the gospel, or the message of the kingdom, he says, or more broadly, you could consider this as scripture, right? The word as seed, and the seed that is sown in soil, and he compares soil saying that it is an individual's heart. So see the word of God in the heart, the soil of the heart. Now let's just take a moment, I just want to take a moment to just ponder a few things about that imagery, First, think about the seeds are, are planted by a farmer or a sower in the parable and, and received in, in the dirt or the soil. The farmer in Jesus' parable is God, right? And notice that God is, is generous with the seed. God is just scattering the seed across the garden, right? And God is the active participant, right? And then we are represented by soil. And think about soil. Soil is a far more passive role Right? Soil, as soil, we cannot manipulate or cons- coerce or will seed to grow. Like, I can't make seed grow, like, as farmers know, right? The seed will produce fruit if the conditions are good. And that'll take time, and only if the seed remains in good soil, the good soil of the heart. So it's kind of like this image of the word internalized in the heart of a believer, right? The living and active piece of the illustration, the thing that's living and active, is actually the seed. A seed is a living thing, right? And it just needs to be planted, and then you just gotta, when you plant a seed, all you gotta do is just let a seed do seed-like things, and, it, and, and it'll grow. And I know there's a lot to it, but that kind of image is pretty simple, right? And anyone can do it. Anyone can be soil. And 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 I I just want to pause here because I think this is just incredibly freeing and empowering word for us this morning. Any of us, we're all soil, right? Too often I think Christians and and maybe this is particularly true in kind of reformed circles, um, and and I love being part of the reformed tradition. But in the reformed tradition, we we have a high view of scripture we have a high view of biblical interpretation and study and and fancy words like exegesis right like like it's a high value and that's beautiful and i love it and i'm grateful for it but but one of the byproducts of that is sometimes i think we might get intimidated about studying the bible or even just devotional reading or listening to god's word and and, and we get intimidated because we worry like oh, what if, I, what if I don't get it right? Like, like, what if I misinterpret God's word? What if I take something out of context? And, and what that can do is sometimes paralyze us. Like, oh, I don't want to get it wrong, so I might as well not do it at all, right? That's the danger. And I think this is a word to us this morning to say, hey, stop worrying and just read God's word just read God's word and dwell in the scriptures and allow God's word to fill and ruminate in our hearts and devotional reading does not require anything more than an open heart to listen and then just the time to allow the spirit to speak into our lives and as that happens it is the holy spirit it is God by the power of the holy spirit that will produce fruit in our lives And I think as we begin to understand God's word in this way, the more we realize that it's God's work inside of us, the more we realize that the scriptures are not given mostly to inform our lives, but the scriptures are given primarily to transform our lives. We we read scriptures uh, not not so much to to gain information, though we, we do get information from the scriptures, important stuff, but ultimately, we read and we dwell in the scriptures so that they might transform our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think this imagery of seed actually captures that reality more than so many others because what you plant a seed in a garden and over time as that seed produces plants and produces fruit, like the garden is utterly transformed into something totally different that has a benefit for people from far away, right? Fruit-bearing plants. Jesus' parable talks a lot about seed. But the parable also spends significant time considering soil, soil that takes the seed in. And so let's talk a little bit, let's spend a little bit of time considering the soil, uh, which again, Jesus is referring to as the heart in verse 19. The soil represents the heart of an individual. Here, Jesus' parable mentions several things that can hinder the growth of a seed. It's not that there's superstar soil and there's, you know, you know like this no it's it's soil but there's things in the soil that can hinder the growth of a seed. Jesus goes on to describe four different soils all that impact the growth of a seed. Uh, Kind of throw those. I kind of threw those on. Kind of to summarize those on the screen. Uh, Hardened soil or a hardened heart. Rocky soil or kind of a troubled heart. Thorny soil or a tangled heart. And then good soil, uh, which we would. I want just want to say an open heart. Notice again, none of the soils can make the seed grow, but there are things in the soil that can hinder the growth of the seed. Let's talk about each just briefly. Hardened heart or a hard, hardened soil. Jesus speaks of the path, or think about a path as, as soil that's been pressed down and, 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 and walked all over and hardened. Uh, think of that as a hardened heart. Because friends, if, 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 we've, if we've closed our hearts off to God, if our hearts have become hardened to God, uh, maybe through skepticism or cynicism or contempt that just kind of continues to fester and billow in our hearts, then oftentimes that hardness will, will make us not open to God or to God's word. And so we might, we might read God's word, we might hear words from scripture, but if our hearts are, are hardened and we're not interested in allowing it to ruminate and grow in our hearts, well then fruit's just, it's not gonna grow, Right? Or how about rocky soil? Jesus speaks of rocky or, or shallow soil or, or, or as he kind of explains it, kind of a troubled heart. Jesus speaks of how trouble and persecution can, can dry out young shoots and saplings that begin to grow and then they wither, right? And Jesus makes this comparison to the troubles of, of this world and persecution and, and, and the reality is like when we face trouble and hardship, like that can rock us, Right? And, and, and only deep roots can withstand the realities of a broken world. And that's our prayer. That's our aim, that, that we would have roots that, that grow deep, where questions and troubles and doubts, even when we're reading the word and we're like, what is, what's going on here? That it wouldn't make us run away from God's word, but actually lean in and dig deeper. Because we know that the roots, there's something living and, and good, the waters of life. The third is is thorny soil or a tangled heart. Jesus speaks of of kind of the splintered or tangled heart, like where our heart is pulled in various directions. And in Jesus' explanation, he draws comparisons to the worries of this life or the deceptions of wealth. And I think in our context, we we could add a countless amount of other things that hold our attention and our devotion and our affections, all that kind of pull our heart in all kinds of different ways that tangle our heart, and pull us away from God. These all choke out our time and our attentiveness to the word. We, in, in many ways, we just get too busy and distracted to have time to spend time in God's word. We're gonna talk about that in the weeks ahead. And then the final soil is, is, is good soil, and I just want to describe this as an open heart. Jesus' final example is is that of good soil, an open heart. And and again, it's it's a heart that doesn't have any kind of special fertilizer. It's not it's just it's absent in many ways, largely, of those other hindrances. Meaning the heart that is open to God has has plenty of time and space for seed to come, germinate, grow into life changing fruit. Good soil. See, the picture is clear. It's it's God's work. It's the Holy Spirit's work to produce fruit in our lives through the gracious gift of God's word and the scriptures and, and by the power of prayer. This soil cannot make seed grow. But what the parable tells us is that what's in that soil can have a negative impact on those seeds that have been planted. And so the question that that just that that draws our attention to is 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 whether or not our hearts and our lives are are receptive to God's work within us. The, the deeper question is, well, how's our heart? How's your heart? Years ago, I've shared this before. We don't have a garden at our current house, but at the previous house there was more space, and so we we did our attempt at gardening. And I've shared this before. It wasn't very good. Um, But but even that minimal experience of gardening, what it taught us and taught me specifically was that when you're gardening or like the work is never done. Any gardeners out there? Amen. Yeah, the work's never done. Uh, You gotta constantly be attending to the garden. Like you're constantly working the garden and, and checking on it. You're constantly weeding. Like weeds never stop, it seems. And, and you're watering and then you're waiting. And in between all that waiting, there's more working, weeding, and watering and waiting. It's all these W words. I, I'm a pastor, so we just like the alliteration. Anyway, and so a beautiful garden and a bountiful harvest to, to produce good fruit, it takes time, it takes care, and it takes attention. And, and when you let that slip, and what would happen for us, our rhythm was every, every summer we would go to California to visit Yvonne's family for like a week or two. And so during that week or two where we were gone, like no one's attending the garden, we'd come back and the thing's just overgrown with weeds. Like in two weeks it was remarkable how much disruption can happen in a garden. And I, as I just think about gardens and, and, and that kind of work and, and how much attention and, 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 and care that a garden requires, it just made me think like, do, do we, do I consider my heart in that same kind of way? Like, do I give my, my heart that same kind of attention and care? Am, am I aware of, of the barriers and the hang-ups? And so the question is, how, friends, how are our hearts? How is your heart? Has your heart been hardened? Or right now, is your heart in a place where it's just been hardened by cynicism or skepticism? Is your heart troubled? Because life comes at us fast, and there's there's things that we never thought we would experience, and and that can have a have a tendency to kind of leave us jaded, right? Or maybe today you're just recognizing, like, man, my heart is just pulled in a hundred different directions right now. By worries, by distractions. Maybe many of those things are good things, right? There's a lot of good things that pull on our hearts, but they consume our time and our energy. And and as we ask those questions, like that's not that's not a question that that's to bring judgment or, or like condemnation. It's more to say, hey, you're not alone in this. Like we all have these struggles, like none of us has has perfect soil all the time, right? We're all dealing with something, and, and God's design is that we don't, we don't journey this alone. We are on a journey together, so let's talk about it. I'd, if, you wanna, if you need someone, to, I would love that opportunity to talk, but maybe you have someone else that you can lean into and, and just share where your heart's at because if we keep it to ourselves, nothing changes. But when we share it, that's when the Spirit of God can do incredible work to transform and to, to do that hard work of cleaning up the soil of our heart. Here's the other thing, though, as we think about our heart check. Here, here's what I also suspect is true for many of us. For many of us, maybe we want to be people of the word. Maybe we long for more regular rhythms of time and scripture and reading and even meditation or trying some other practices to be people in the word. But our issue is more that we're like, well, I'm, not, I'm just not sure how, to, how do I read scripture that way? Like that just seems so foreign. Like I get studying, but how do I just read Scripture that way, or, or, or how do I how do I allow the Scriptures to be planted in my heart so that God speak? Like, what does that mean? What does that look like? Or maybe it's just a matter of finding that time, finding that space, finding that rhythm and intentionality to actually just do it. So the question is, well, how do I experience fruit? How do I how do I make this fruitful practice uh, this a fruitful practice in my own life? And so here's just a couple of just ideas. Uh, some of these were in the email that went out on Thursday. By the way, if you want to be on that email list, let's talk afterward and we can get you on that email list if you're not already. Uh, but here's one idea that I was just thinking of. Uh, this week, um, take a, bi- like a physical Bible. You know, I, the phones and everything, those are great. And to have it in your pocket. But find like a physical Bible and, and put a physical Bible right next to your bed. Uh, studies show that, that for many of us, and I'm going to raise my hand too. The first thing you do when you wake up, for many, you pull out that little pocket computer and you scroll. And the last thing many of us do before we go to bed is pull out that phone and kind of check things. Right? What would it be like, and instead of doing that, and again, no condemnation, like no condemnation there. But what if instead of pulling out the phone and scrolling and through the news, which is wow, depressing, um, we just Picked up God's word and we read a Bible verse. Start small. Just read a Bible verse, and may that be the last thing you do before bed and the first thing you do when you wake up. Open the scriptures and read a verse. Now, I don't want to bash the the phone altogether because I was just looking this weekend at at the the Bible app, and it's there's like some incredible tools there, like with guided prayer. So maybe just put the Bible here and the phone underneath it or some kind of reminder so that when you actually do pick up your phone, instead of going to the news feed, like, open the Bible app and go through a guided prayer. There's so many amazing tools at our disposal right now. It's incredible. A couple other ones that I just want to highlight uh, on our webpage, heartofwhite.com slash resources. We have a couple of these soaps. You'll notice there's some, some bookmarks. Those bookmarks are kind of a guide through the soaps, which is dwelling in God's word. Just asking a couple questions around those five, uh, th- five letters in the acronym or Lectio Divina, which is an ancient practice similar. Uh, those are some Latin words words but really what Lectio Divina is is you read the text, you meditate on the text, you pray the text and then you live the text. Some other ideas again there's no, there's not like, you just gotta find what works for you but our kids memorize scripture but I think as adults that's a fantastic thing as well how do you let the scripture dwell in your heart? Like memorize it because you gotta read it over and over and over to memorize scripture. There's something powerful of that. Or maybe memorization, You're like that's intimidating. Uh, just copy the text, like handwriting scripture. I have a journal. By the way, I, I just, if, if you have a journal, like find a journal you really like. This, 2023, I, I got a different journal. I just didn't like it. Uh, but now I got my, my old journal. I like that journal and so I'm going to it more. But I, I'll, I'll pray, I'll write prayers in that journal, but Almost always, I begin with just copying Scripture. Again, it slows you down, and now the Scriptures are kind of dwelling in your heart. There's a ton of other ways to do this. It's all intended to get the Scripture, the Word, planted deep in our hearts and souls so that the Spirit can work in and through our lives. And why? Because we return to the original question that we face this morning. What voices are you listening to? What voices are we listening to? Where do we go for truth and guidance? Because friends, where we go to find truth, it matters. Most of us at this stage in life, again, we're not looking to public service announcements and fuzzy little uh, forest bears to find our source of truth, influence, and guidance, though only you can prevent forest fires remains true. It's still a good word. But I think we all readily admit that there are plenty of options available, voices that are coming our way between podcasters and politicians and pundits and social media influencers and blogs and news outlets, etc., The voices and influences we grant authority in our lives, the voices we give ear and give our attention to, it matters dearly. Because those voices begin to give shape to inform our hearts and our lives. And I think we'd all admit that the voices we've been giving our attention to, the fruit that we're seeing today, it's not great. I don't think anyone would conclude that over the last 10 years, we've gotten more gracious and hospitable and loving and generous and all these fruit of the spirit that we'll be studying this spring, right? Right? Friends, do we give special priority to the voice and the authority of Scripture of God's Word? And do we understand that, do we believe that God's Word, what does God's Word direct us to? God's Word, these living words are actually directing us to the Word in flesh, Jesus Christ. And so as we read, as we study, as we meditate on God's Word, it's because it is forming us and directing us and forming us more and more into the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ who is our Lord and our Savior. And so the question for us is are we going to give more attention to God's Word and Jesus Christ, the Word? Or are we going to give more attention to some other voice that's coming our way? Where will we give priority? And I pray that with God's help, we'll choose the first. And that doesn't mean that we cannot listen to earthly voices. We just need to be mindful of the content and character of those people we give our ear and our attention to. For me, one of those voices that's been influential in my life has, has been Eugene Peterson. And uh, primarily, he's been one of my favorite authors. There's a, there's a, I got to meet him, yeah. And uh, he probably would have been embarrassed to, to have me put a picture of us together, but... Um, it was just, he, he was a man, if you read his biography, um, he was a man who loved the scriptures, who would spend hours each day dwelling in the word and it had a profound impact on his ministry and life. By the way, right at Western Theological Seminary, there's the, the, the Eugene Peterson for Christian, like right here in our backyard. Um, anyway, it's really cool. Uh, but this week I was, I was reading through one of um, his books, Eat This Book. Eat This, it's a funny title, but Eat This Book, A Conversation in the Art of Spiritual Reading. And the title of the book, Eat This Book, comes from Revelation chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, uh, where, where John receives this vision and this, and an angel says, eat this scroll, like eat it, right? Consume it. And, and if you, can you see the parallel? like planting seed in in the soil of our heart, like eating God's word, kind of a similar parallel. And so kind of using similar language, he writes these words in Eat This Book. He says, Christians feed on scripture. Holy scripture nurtures the holy community as food nurtures the human body. Christians don't simply learn or study or use scripture. We assimilate it. Take it into our lives in such a way that it gets metabolized into acts of love, cups of cold water, missions into all the world, healing and evangelism and justice in Jesus' name. Hands raised in adoration of the Father, feet washed in company with the Son. Friends, yes, the Bible is something we study. The Bible is something we read. The Bible is something we learn to understand. And the Bible, the scriptures, the word of God are the vehicle through which God speaks into our lives, forms and transforms us into gospel people who become the salt of the earth, the light of the world, a world desperate for more people who live in the light, people of mercy, love, love. And peace. And so, my prayer is that we would continue to grow in becoming gospel people through His Word by the power of the Spirit. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Father God, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that your Word is is living and active. That these words that have been preserved for thousands of years by your spirit continue to give voice and shape and offer wisdom and guidance and influence in ways that have 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 lasted through time and have formed history Lord sometimes things that are familiar to us we, we take for granted for many of us, we, you know, I think about, I, I have like a dozen Bibles laying around, you know? And so it becomes familiar and I take it for granted. But the reality that, Lord, your word, the words through which your spirit speaks into our lives is so accessible. Lord, thank you for reminding us of that this, this morning. And Lord, may you speak into our lives and may we have conversations today with family, friends, and loved ones uh, to challenge one another how we can make your word more central, a more central part of our rhythms and lives, not only individually, uh, but in the circles in which we live. So continue, Lord, to shape us, form us, help us to be those with open hearts. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening. To learn how to get involved in our Fusion community or how to support Heart of Wike Ministries, please visit us at heartofwike.com.